resort. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. This week's guest is an incredible Canadian singer-songwriter whose career in music and acting has spanned close to two decades. The now mom of two is set to drop her fifth studio album, Seasons, in April, which is sure to be yet another dazzling landmark on the long road she's taken since soundtracking some of our teenage years. Here to talk to us about the journey from television star to independent badass musician and aspiring farmer, it's Alex Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, wow, what an intro. (laughs) Welcome to Pulse Pounding. Thank you so much for being here. It has been all Alex Johnson all week in my house. Everyone is sick of me. (laughs) I love that. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like my kids after the end of this record process listening to mix after mix. Mm -hmm. I mean, they love the music, but it's like, again, mom? (laughs) I feel like as they get older, it'll get worse. Yeah, for sure. Of course. (laughs) So I first came to know you, obviously, from Instant Star. It was my favorite show when I would say it was like 12 when that show came out. Um, And I was obsessed with it. I remember there was some kind of event at the mall near my house surrounding the show. And I'm not sure if the cast was there, if you guys were involved in New York. But I was under the impression as a kid that you were going to be there. And I bugged my dad to take me and we didn't go and I didn't talk to him for like a week. So I'll have to call him after this and tell him what we're doing because this is far better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. (laughs) So let's start from the beginning. What is your earliest memory of discovering music? Um, My parents, my dad would always, he had this like box CD set of songs from like the 1940s and 50s and like Roy Orbison and Elvis and the temptations. And I really like, I really identified with like some of that stuff, just the classic stuff. And then Billy Joel and Ricky Lee Jones, I was always really drawn towards like super classic artists. Um, obviously I went through like the Celine Dion (laughs) phase, um, and Les Mis, the -hmm. soundtrack to that, I would sit by the CD player and I was obsessed, but, um, I just, I've always loved music to this day. I always have music playing in my house. I never not have music on at some point. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I, it just brings so much life. I find to, uh, to the moments that we're living, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel the same way. I just can't sing. So instead I've taken this route (laughs) of discussing music because I'm so passionate about it, but nobody wants Mm -hmm. to hear me try to sing a note for sure. Um, who influenced you musically as you were growing up? Was it those artists that you were talking about listening to? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I find, but also like David Foster, there was, you know, I, songwriters, producers, I found, I was really drawn to people that weaved like their own words together. Mm-hmm. Carol King. I just thought like, wow, like, cause I, I always found that when I was young, people would say to me, I was gifted at singing. They'd say, can you sing us a song? You have such a beautiful voice. And it was kind of my shtick and also being number six in a family of 10 kids. Mm-hmm. I felt it was kind of a way for me to be heard a little bit. Cause like people, I think assume I'm an extrovert. Right. Just be, just because I'm a performer, but it's actually the complete opposite. I'm a Scorpio mm-hmm. and I'm super introverted, but I think the singing thing just, just became kind of a way for me to, just be seen in such a large family. And um, 
yeah, I think just over time, it just became, it just became really important to me to not just be a singer and not just sing well, because obviously, you know, that's not something I necessarily feel like I earned. Right. As, as a singer, I feel like I just always sang. Right. I loved artists who wrote. I love artists who expressed how they felt, who learned the craft of writing, playing guitar, you know, putting it all together. So I was really drawn to artists that kind of had their own voice through, had their own, you know, message through their voice. Right. So that's kind of the artists I, I, I listened to the most and where I found writing. I feel like a lot of artists are the way that you're saying you are as well. Like you're one person in your life and you're another on stage. And there's a lot of artists who will talk about how outside of performing and making music, they are kind of shy or more reserved. I think that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I'm actually even realizing it more and more in the past couple of years, just, I don't know, maybe just becoming a mother and, 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 and just, you really get to learn. I find who you are through some of these really tough things, like being a mom to toddlers and mm-hmm. just, just realizing that being on for so long in my life with acting and, and music and stuff, it's, yeah, it's, it is a bit of a persona that you have to, you have to put on in order to give that sense of, you know, this miraculous person who's performing, right. you almost have to be so heightened and you're kind of like fooling yourself a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get through that <laughs> moment. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm exhausted. <laughs> right. When did you first pick up the guitar? Um, I first picked it up when I was like, honestly, 15, 16. So that wasn't that long before you started the show. No, I actually sang, I sang, I sang. And then, um, I picked it up. Yeah. Pretty, pretty. I actually picked it up specifically when I had, I would play guitar, but my brother, we would write songs together all the time Mm -hmm. and he would be the guitar player and he would be tracking and I'd be doing the lyrics and the freestyling and the writing. And Mm -hmm. it was really around the instant star time that I was like, Whoa, okay. If I'm going to play this character who like plays guitar really well, I really have to learn how to play guitar. Yeah. So I kind of like super like practice and really tried to like, you know, push myself to be able to, to do that. So how did the dream of music end up leading you to acting? I was a kid. I was 12. Um, I went down to uh, a local talent agency and I had said to the talent agent, I want to sing. Right. And I didn't even think about acting really. I would have been like maybe 11, 11. And I had, I had sang for the Canucks. I'd opened up singing the anthem for the Canucks and, and that was cool. And um, David Foster had heard my voice and there was some talks about working with David Foster, but I was like, you know, I'm going to, I want to get out there. I want to get out on like in TV and movies and I want to sing in movies. (laughs) And that was my idea. So I just basically, you know, put my backpack on and walked myself to the local small town talent agency. And in literally the course of a year, um, I had done a couple commercials and then, yeah, I was like, boom, I was the lead of a Disney series. Right. So that was your first like (laughs) real big break, which was starring in the third season of Disney Channel. So weird. So they had had some sort of issue where their main lead character had left. And then your character kind of replaces that character in the sense that you're the main focus of the show. 
So what was that like being such a young kid and walking into something that was already such a big production? I mean, I, I had such, I mean, I was so blessed to have such an amazing cast around me, like Mackenzie Phillips, mm-hmm. Eric Lively, uh, to this day is just still one of my favorite people. Um, I was really surrounded by so much support. I was so young. I didn't understand, you know, the, the weight of that mm-hmm. for the character I was acting with, for the character that I was, for the actress that I was replacing. Right. I think I was too young to realize. So sometimes ignorance is bliss. So following So Weird, you continued to work on music and you were co-writing songs with your brother, which garnered a lot of label interest. And I feel like at this time in the industry, if you were aspiring to be an artist and put out music, you were looking for a major label deal because that's kind of how things happened back then. We didn't have like the streaming and independent labels weren't that popular yet. So you didn't want that at that time. And you turn some of those offers down, correct? They just were really, I didn't want, there's, I'm always trying to find the most appropriate way to say this, but I wanted control because I had started getting interested in writing my own songs. So it's kind of like going from getting sent demos to sing, you know, call me, call me on my mobile phone, like songs <laughs> like that, right? Where it was like that sounds <laughs> little awful. Bopper. I, know, I right? mean, you sound great, were, but the lyrics yeah, don't. <laughs> there was like, honestly, there was some that were so just horrific. And I really wanted to write my own music. So when these deals came in, you'd be so surprised how much uh, you have to give away. You're basically signing a deal to be this cut out pop thing. And for me, I didn't want fame enough to make that deal. It was almost like a Faustian thing for me. I Mm -hmm. was like, I would much rather take the long route, get the right deal that makes sense for me. Well, that's um, what makes you an artist versus a singer. Thank you. That's what I think (laughs) at least. Yeah. Well, there's been, there's been positives and negatives about that being on this trajectory for so long, but we can talk about that. So at this point in your career, before Instant Star, do you remember what like your vision and your idea and your plan was for your career at that point? Yeah. I mean, I was being managed by Jan Arden's manager, Neil McGonigal. I had in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be a Canadian artist like Chantelle Kriviazic, like Jan Arden, like Diana Krall, mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, geez, Anne Murray for crying out loud. If I could keep going and going, just making music. And that's what I, I wanted that kind of long lasting career. Right. Um, when these TV show opportunities came my way, like I come from a really middle class, amazing, but like, I don't come from a situation where it was like, when these deals were given to me as a kid, it was like a big deal for me and my family. Right. <laughs> it was like, like, you don't really say no to the Disney channel, you know? Um, <laughs> right. Of course. From, When you're from a small town, Vancouver, BC, it's kind of like, wow, how did I even get to meet the fonts and get flown to LA and do these amazing things? Right. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. But I mean, there is an exchange that happens. Like playing those characters, you know, has definitely changed the course of my career as a musician, as a writer, 100%. Um, So, and you can't go back and you have to count your blessings from that and- Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, I envisioned my career to be very um, only music based, like doing music. I never I never went really to many acting classes and never really aspired to be 
an Oscar winner. Right, it wasn't right. really something I had was drawn to. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how life kind of happens, you know? And what opportunities are presented to you that you're not expecting? Yeah, of course. Are you so tired of talking about Instant Star at this point in your life and career? No, because where I lucked out with Instant Star was I had turned the show down twice Mm -hmm. because I said, I'm not going to play another character, music character, unless I get to write music for the show. Okay. So when they came back and said, okay, you and your brother can write music for the show. So to me, I, I, it gave me a real love for Jude and it gave me a responsibility to like, and also her music was very separate from mine. Right. Like at the time, I, I wasn't listening to artists like Avril Lavigne mm-hmm. and Hilary Duff. And at the time, I was listening to artists like uh, Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel and Annie Lennox. And so my music was very different and I was protecting my own music to mm-hmm. basically put it aside to write all these angsty songs for this character. So to me, it's always been, it's such a, it's such a compliment when people say that they love the character and they love the music because- right. I'm a part of the music on that show. Of course, yeah. So for those who don't know, Instant Star premiered in 2004 on CTV and The N here in the States. You play Jude Harrison, a 16-year-old high school student who wins like an American Idol style competition and finds herself simultaneously finishing out high school, recording an album, and becoming a star. The show aired for four seasons. It spawned four soundtracks and was nominated for six Gemini Awards which are kind of like the Emmys of Canada, correct? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with this project to start? It's actually really insane. So the woman who played Mackenzie Phillips' manager on So Weird, mm-hmm. her name is Belinda Metz, and she's an amazing singer-songwriter in her own right. In the 80s, she had a huge hit, forget what it's called. <laughs> but it was a really good song. If you want to put a clip of that song in this, it was so good. I'll look it up. basically was friends with Stephen Stone and Linda Schuler, who started the Degrassi franchise together. And she had gotten the nod that they were, you know, starting to, uh, starting to, uh, develop a TV series about a girl who sings. So she literally said, Stephen Stone, Linda, I know the girl, Alex Johnson. She was on the show that I was on. So weird. She's Canadian. She can sing. You have to see her. So they had seen like, I don't, there's something like, I think they saw something like hundreds and hundreds of auditions Mm -hmm. from all over the place. And I was asked to put myself on tape. I did a monologue, put myself on tape doing a monologue, played a song on the guitar and I got the part. Mm -hmm. And it was weird. I didn't get that audition through an agent. I didn't get that audition through anything else. It was just a friend who said, you need to give this girl a shot. So it was thanks to Belinda Metz from So Weird. And how old are you at this point when you start filming the show? Oh my gosh. I think I was like 16. Oh, so you were the same age almost as the character. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know why I thought you were a little bit older, but that makes sense. Um, Where did the idea for the red hair come from? Was that something that they already had thought of before you got there? Yep. That was just what they wanted. They wanted her to have red hair. It's like, yeah, that was a part of the whole, that was Jude. Was that a pain in the ass to upkeep? It was a nightmare. Because <laughs> it's like I would have to, so red all the time. 
If I had one shower, it looked like someone died in the bathtub. All my towels got stained. I had to buy black towels just to, just to, and every morning they needed it this vibrant, like Kool-Aid red. So I'd have to put the dye in a part of my, like getting ready in the trailer routine was like putting this goo, red goo in my hair. Oh my God. Every day. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Cause it would fade continuity. One shower, it would fade out. That sounds right? so bad for your hair and your scalp. Well, no, the reason why is because the hair team was really was really important for them to protect my hair. So okay. instead of using peroxide, they used like a natural veggie based dye. Oh, thank God. Which is why it got on everything. My clothes, <laughs> my skin, my sheets. It was awful. <laughs> That's such a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. Do you feel like your life kind of was paralleling your character in the sense that your character is becoming a star and dealing with the challenges of like adjusting to that lifestyle while at the same time, after the first season airs, your career is kind of exploding and you're starting to experience that for the first time. So did you kind of feel like an identity crisis trying to separate yourself from your character? No, and I didn't feel like I really needed to. I kind of felt like, um, I think I actually, I think Jude kind of just by default morphed into me, like with the blonde hair, mm -hmm. going to blonde cutting it short. Right. I feel like when you play a character for so many years and the character's growing and you're growing, mm -hmm. it's kind of like me and Jude kind of became the same person towards right. that last season. Right. Including other stuff that comes with being a young woman. You know, like, I mean, I'm drastically, drastically underweight in the fourth season of Instant Star. Mm -hmm. The stress, just trying to control everything I can because I felt like at that time so much was out of my control. Right. And I think that happens to a lot of young people uh this day and age you know it's like when things feel chaotic i can have you know i can have this for lunch and i can have this for and i look at her and i look at me and i look at my life and i go wow like yeah me and jude towards that last season i just feel like we're it wasn't me it wasn't dude it was just this thing yeah this in but in between like a hybrid yeah <laughs> like a hybrid yeah it had to be four years playing a character i think it just happens by by default right you know um, I want to talk a little more about the music because the music from the soundtracks that were included in the show were a major part of the show's success. And unlike other shows that were geared towards a younger audience, these songs were actually good. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff that you hear, like you were singing that song before, it's a little more like poppy and kind of silly. These songs weren't really like that. They had like a little more depth and more of an edge to them. And mm. a ton of those songs specifically from the first season and the first soundtrack were co-written by you, which is so uncommon, especially in that time in the industry, to work on such a big project with major production companies and labels to have your hand in the music. Because so many artists will talk about how for their first project during that time, they kind of just have to play the game. And once they mm -hmm. establish themselves and their, their name and their credibility, they take a little more control. So you were mm -hmm. saying that you turned down the part a couple times and one of mm -hmm. your stipulations of taking it was that you wanted to work on the music. So how did mm -hmm. that go? Well, I had had a song when I had, when I was excited about the, the prospect of potentially playing Jude, my brother and I had written a song called That Girl. Mm -hmm. I'm the smoke from your fire. I'm the lie you can't trust. I'm the girl in your guitar or um, I'm the chord on your guitar. I'm the girl you can't shut up. Mm -hmm. I'm the blood you might need in your car when you speed in that cigarette you breathe. You can't get rid of me. So 
that was a song that I loved. And when they had, and, but I always felt like it's like, this is, this should be Jude's sound. Mm-hmm. So when they had said to me, okay, you want to write music for the show? What do you got? I already had like five songs that I had written that I already felt like I had done my homework. I right. was like, look, like this is what Jude's sound should be. And the production team was like, we love this song. This is amazing. Like we're going to start writer's camps and you and your brother are being flown to Toronto and you're going to be in the writer's camps. And it was like, that's amazing. We were on our way. That's so awesome. I put on so many songs last week when I started prepping for this interview that I forgot I knew all of the words to. The first one was 24 hours. I totally forgot that song existed. And I was in my car. Literally, I must have looked like a lunatic 11 o'clock at night driving home, screaming in my car, like having that meme memory unlocked moment that I just forgot yeah. about. So many of those songs as a kid in my like bullshit, not real middle school relationships, fake breakups that I thought was like the end of the world. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Those mm-hmm. songs soundtracked that. So I'm interested to know what your favorite song from the show is. And then I'll so tell you mine. <laughs> my favorite song from the whole show. I think it has to be skin. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling. Just there's just, and it's not even that I think it's like the best song. It's just that that song has resonated with so many people mm-hmm. on such a deep level yeah. that like, I think it's deeper than I even realized when I wrote it. Right. But I will say, but on the other hand, one of my favorite songs, um, Where Does It Hurt? And I didn't even write that song. My favorite is one I don't think you wrote. Sorry. What's it called? I don't know if I should stay. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. I didn't write it. Such a beautiful song. And your, I think it's one of your best vocal performances. It's so like layered and there's so many different parts of your voice that you're using in one mm. small song. And you have like this mm-hmm. intentional voice break that you do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I love it. <laughs> and that's <laughs> nice. in there. And then mixed with like the scene where you were, the way you were dressed and the way that they filmed it. It was just so, the whole thing was so mm. beautiful. I loved that song from the moment it came out. And I think from the same season was Don't You Dare. Such a beautiful song. I don't know who wrote that shit, but it was great. Well, listen, those writers, I mean, I know Christopher Ward, Davenet Doyle, who's an amazing Canadian artist, songwriter. Like there were some really amazing writers. There's another one that I can't remember who worked with a lot of really big people. And he worked on almost Mm. all the songs. Fuck, what was his name? Wells? Oh, Rob Wells. Rob Wells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's amazing. He's Greg Wells' brother. And Greg Wells is who I who produced my record when I was signed to Sony. But his brother was the and, one that worked Sony. on the songs for the soundtrack. And I looked at the people he yes. had worked with. And there's so many incredible stars that he's written with and written for. So it makes sense. The family is like the family is so talented. And Rob Wells is the one who introduced me to or who kind of gave me the contact for Greg Wells. Gotcha. Makes sense. Why did you write less on later songs for the show? Because I was trying, I wasn't, I was trying to focus on my career. I was trying to get a record deal for my stuff outside of the show. Simultaneously? Um, yeah. And I, it wasn't, I, looking back, I kind of think it was silly. Like I, I, I wanted to really start dividing. I wanted to just let the show be the show songs and start kind of separating myself in some way. And looking back, I just think, you know, I, uh, I was just a young girl who was who was really just so hungry for my own identity outside of Jude. What experience made you realize how big the show actually was? 
Like, was there a specific moment where something happened where you were like, holy shit, this is like serious? It it wasn't until way later. I wasn't really a part of the paparazzi. They don't really do that in Canada. Um, I wasn't really, for me, it happened much later. It happened when I moved to New York and like, this was like years right. later. And every Starbucks I went into in New York and in the States specifically, um, every place I went, people were just like, oh my gosh, like you're, a, you Al- you're Alex Johnson. Or they'd be whispering about me somewhere. And I'd look around and be like, whoa, like <laughs> it was, it's something about the States has a lot. There's a lot more around celebrity I find than there is in Canada. Right. Like, I feel like Canada never really supports their own. I feel like Canada only supports what the States deems to be supportable. Right. Well, that's a lot with other countries outside of the States. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like Degrassi is so loved in the States. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, it's not the same. People love Degrassi, but it's not the same. But that's part of, I think, the success of your show because they were kind of coupling it. They were airing it mm. after. They were airing your music videos that were from the show in between <laughs> episodes of Degrassi. So I feel like it pulled that fan base and that show was so huge here at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 to this day, and I think even when I look at my analytics, I've not done a Canadian tour yet. And there's a reason why. Mm. Like, I mean, I should. And the fans are saying to me, oh, you got to get to Montreal. You got to get to Vancouver. And I've played those. I've played shows out of a blues fest, and, but I've never done it because when I look at my Spotify, where all majority of my streams come from, it's international hugely. Right. Like, I mean, um, South America through the roof, the States through the roof, Canada. Not no so one, much. No one, no one, no That's one cares. so weird. <laughs> I know. That's so strange. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That like, makes people, no here's sense. A, well, here's an example. I've, I mean, I opened, I did like a video skit with George Strombolopoulos to open the Junos um, Mm -hmm. around the last season of Instant Star. And I love George. He's amazing. But I've never been invited. Like I've never been to the, I've never been, my records haven't been recognized by the Junos. Right. Invited to the Junos. Like I I find it interesting. Yeah, it's Canada. Right. That's just, it's, it's music. The music industry here is very is very interesting. That's so weird. I feel like when artists are from New York, even if I don't really like them that much, I'm like, let's fucking go. Like, I will rally behind them. It's like hometown pride. Like, 100%. What on God's earth is going on over there? I don't know, but it's something that we need to crack the code. And I think I'm I'm onto something here. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Okay, so you were originally supposed to do a fifth season of the show, but that didn't happen. How did you find out that you weren't going back? I kind of, again, instigated that. Okay. So you were ready. You were ready to be done. I had signed a deal with Epic Sony. I would signed like a dream record deal, like the big deal where they, you know, I get to go and write the songs for the album and I get to be flown. I went to, um, I went down to, they flew me to London, England, and I got to write with all these amazing, Sasha Scarbeck, who wrote You're Beautiful with James Blunt mm. and um, Marius Tefries, who produced Madonna, and I got to go and, and work with like these amazing writers, and uh, it was the dream. So I was like, you know what? I have a choice here, <laughs> either. And at the time, again, looking back, it's like you make the best choice with the knowledge that you have. I finally landed that deal, and it wasn't like I, 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 I put the show into some situation. They had been thinking about do we, do we do a fifth season or not. I had talked to the producers. We had had a conversation about it. And I said, is it okay if I go and 
go find my dream, which is so weird because the last episode of season four, Jude's off to London. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I was off to London. It was weird. That is weird. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> they were like, sure, it's fine. Like, let's, let's wrap. Let's just, let's end on a high note. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And at the time the show was so successful. So, I mean, that's the way to do it. Why not? I still, to this day, am like, would love for them to bring the show back. Like a reboot? Like <laughs> a reboot, but only only like a six part. Yeah. You know, like a quick one. Be- like a quick thing of like, I think there should be another like reality contest. And I think that Jude and Tommy should be judges with like, I love that. And there should be, yeah. And I think Jude should be living in London and like have a kid. Did you try to pitch that? I've talked to, yeah. I mean, Emily Andrus, I've had some words with, I know Tim Roson wants it to happen. Laura Vandervoort's on board. Uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, uh, yeah. Who knows? Oh, I was, I was so mad when I saw Tim and Schitt's Creek. I was like, fuck you, Tommy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, you better. Who's good in that though? You better not start a love triangle with these sisters. I've had enough of your shit. Exactly. <laughs> I had PTSD when I saw that face. Um. All right. So wait. After the show, I just want to touch on this quickly because we don't have to go into it. But you did Final Destination three, and you had this like brutal <laughs> death scene <laughs> with like yeah. nails coming out of your face. Was that yeah. funny to film, or was it kind of like a lot? It was horrifying. It looked like a lot to watch. And I feel like it went on too long for a second with like the shot of you struggling with the nails in your face. I was like, ooh, this is no good. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the whole body casting, seeing yourself in 3D like that, nobody, I mean, unless you've you've had the opportunity of seeing what your face actually looks like. Yeah. That's not a, a mirror or a photograph. It's really uh, jolting because mm-hmm. you're like, that's me. And then seeing your you you get brutally murdered in front of you is another thing that's quite jolting. Um, but no, that was such a fun experience. Like, yeah, I mean, I definitely have a weird thing with roller coasters only because I've had I had to ride it like seventy five times. Like it was exhausting. Yeah, sounds it. And and then, but yeah, but the but the but the shooting itself and the director and I I I think it's it turned out really well. It's actually it's interesting how that has a niche following too. I have so many fans of my music that discovered me through that movie. Well, that series in the States of movies was so popular and people still Mm. reference it to this day. There's like some scene with driving on the highway and some like big cement tubes or some shit or like logs. Yeah. Right. So everybody still references that scene to this day. It was a really big movie series to this in the States until they tried to overkill it with like a sixth movie or some shit. And then it was done. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the best ones are with James Wong. Yeah, the early directing. stuff. Yep. The early stuff. And yeah. he ended after ours. Like after three, he was like, I'm out. That's I've why. Three. It's like the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> They're trying to like beat that shit to death. Give it up. I know. It's like The Walking Dead. I never like, watched that one. Oh, it's so good up until a point. And then you're like, I'm done. I'm not into um, <laughs> zombie shit. I don't know why. I like horror movies, but I'm never into the zombie stuff. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, so when you signed to Epic and you started working on your album, like what changed your mind at that point about a major label? Because previously you were thinking about wanting to have so much creative control. Did they offer you that? Is that why you took it? Because of the position you were in? Or did you just say, screw it, this is what I'm going to do, this is the dream? No, they kind of pretend to give you that control. I feel like for me, you know, I had done a showcase of the songs I had written. I had a demo full of songs that had quote unquote got me signed. Mm -hmm. Yet once you're signed, 
it's like, well, we're never going to get you with some number one hit maker songwriters. Right. It's like, well, I have this whole like collection of songs that got me signed. Aren't these good enough? Like, these are my songs. It's like, no, we're going to get you with like, you know, the matrix. We're going to get you with, you know, Natasha Bedingfield's writers. Right, right. We're going to, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like, wait a second, they didn't really sign me. Mm-hmm. They signed like an idea. You know, they're trying to, yes. They're trying to mold me into what has worked. That's what major labels do. Right. Like they're really good at it. But even then, I think that the structure is changing so much. I feel like it really isn't now that it isn't the only way it's weakened that platform. And I feel like it's not as appealing as it used to be like in the nineties. No. And I feel like it gives artists more leverage now to be like, Hey, I don't need to do this, but if I'm going to do it, this is how I'm going to do it. And Mm -hmm. labels are giving people a little more freedom because they don't want to not have artists. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Or not have Mm -hmm. talented artists that can Mm -hmm. bring something in for them. So I feel like that time was such a weird time in the industry as a new artist because you didn't have all these opportunities with social media. I mean, when your show was on the air, it was the MySpace days. It was just starting, you know? Yeah. We didn't have what we have now. It's crazy how much it's advanced. I can't believe how I've continued to keep going as an indie artist. Like, obviously it takes so much work. I mean, you know, even having a podcast, which is something I would love to do at some point in my life. And I will be talking to you about that separately. Yeah. Whatever Um, you need. It is so much work, but it's so satisfying because the return is like, I'm not, you know, I don't even have management. Like I, why would I have management right now? I've been doing this as an indie artist for so long. When I look at like, you know, giving 15 to 20% away from my indie earnings in a year, it doesn't even make sense. I can do this all myself. Like I know what, I know the structure of like when to put out the thing, when to do that, when to get the shows I've learned it. And it's like a muscle. And I feel like it really just comes down to like, if you want to do, if you want to do music, if you want to just have a shot at this, like there's so much out there for you, information available. Um, and steps to follow to do it yourself. You don't need approval from anyone right. else. You don't like you don't need the middleman. And it's just so, do it yourself. It's so interesting that you say that. And I don't want to get too far into a tangent because I know you don't have forever to sit here and talk to me all day. But <laughs> I just had that conversation with somebody when I was talking about like what my goals are for this show and what I've done in the first year, which is beyond my expectations, but like what my goals are. And they were like, Oh, well, what about management? And I said, why not at this stage maybe later but right now like i learned what equipment to get what to use how to edit and produce and record audio and make promos and market myself on social like i've done all of this shit myself mm-hmm. i book the artists myself through their management mm-hmm. or personally whatever why mm-hmm. at this stage would i take the no money i'm making and give that mm-hmm. to someone else for what? Like, what What benefit are you offering me? Mm-hmm. You know? So it's interesting yeah. that you say that because I just had that conversation last week. Yeah, it's becoming a bit of an archaic structure. And it really is archaic because it really is from a time where it was a completely different system. Like in the 60s, a manager would come in and be with you for your the entirety of your career. Right. They would be there as you are growing. They would be there as, I mean, every single record. And that's where the payoff came. That's where it was like, I honor you because you're my manager because you didn't just show up when things were looking good. Right. You were there from the jump. You were there from the beginning mm-hmm. and we both sacrificed so much into this. And now look how great we were doing and all that jazz. But that that hasn't that doesn't happen. I've had like seven different managers my whole life. Right. And they're all, I have a great relationships with all of them. It just comes down to like, 
you know, when you sign a big in the structure, you sign a big record deal when your album gets shelved. Right. Multiple amounts of times because it's too artistic or it doesn't fit with or the the head of the label gets fired. That's what happened to me. Right. So the head of the label loses his, and then all of his roster's gone or on a shelf somewhere. And then new A&R come in and they're like, well, I like her, but she's not my artist. Right. I'm A&R. I want to go prove who I am. I want to get my own artist on this label. Right. So then you end up, you're sitting on a shelf, an artist who is obviously talented, who got to that place in their life, but people want to prove themselves in their own way, right. which makes sense. So the, the system doesn't work. In fact, I know so many amazingly talented artists who are waiting waiting for their music to get released, waiting for the permission to be able to release their art. Right. And, and I then find you, that you, so sad. You get in these positions where you can't release the music that you recorded because they own it. And then you can't release more music based on your contract sometimes because they still own you, but they're not doing anything with you. So you just get stuck yeah. sitting, unable to release what you've created and unable to create something new to put out unless you put it out for free. That's like the loophole. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. crazy. So why? It's insane. So what kind of what kind of artist would want to do that at this point? Like, I feel like I I mean I've had a lot of different offers this last couple of years from different management, different um, labels, different indie labels, and it's like, okay, what can you actually actually do for me though? Like, right. I'm just gonna do all all the work, and then you're just gonna take a cut. Like, I don't know about that. You know. So following the deal with Epic, you started your own independent label, Lady Spencer Music. Why that route versus shopping for another label? Because I'd done it twice. I was with Capital. I I waited, didn't get released. I got dropped. I was with Epic Sony. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I just, I was done with it. I was done with the risk. I wanted to just make the product and get it to the fans. So then your debut album, Voodoo, is released in 2010. But this is not the album that you had originally released and recorded. So was the sound and style of the unreleased album similar to what we got with Voodoo or was it different? It was different. The album that, uh, yeah, like I, you know, Sony had paid $500,000 to do, to, to get that record finished to the finish line from the best musicians to strings at Capitol Studio B. Mm-hmm. That record was like, I had... um Paul Buckmaster, who did like the string arrangement for Space Odyssey mm-hmm. for David Bowie, who did all the strings for that album. No, this voodoo was like just back to, with my brother back in the studio, back, you know, a bit of angst behind it, a bit of like, um, we have to do something. I can't just sit here and like, you know, drown in my sorrow i have to like get in the studio and start writing music which is where we we wrote voodoo right and i and i put that out through orange lounge because stephen stone who was the executive producer of instant star was a friend of mine and he had he that was his he was a part owner of that small indie label in toronto so we had spoken about this record and he's like you know why don't you put it through orange we'll do distribution through universal canada and i was like okay but it was still a safer bet right i you know, you had the control. From yeah. I had the control with the music. Yeah. So then in 2011, you remixed the entire album with the Demolition Crew and the, you gave the songs kind of like a little bit more of a pop feel. Why? Mm. I didn't have much to do with that at all. Okay. Um, Demi, Demi Lovato uh, and her husband was. Uh, part of the, he was the demolition crew and they had come to my, um, 
my show. I had played North by Northeast, a venue in Toronto, and she had heard my song, Look at Those Eyes, and she tweeted, Look at Those Eyes is an amazing song, what a smash hit. And they basically approached Orange about doing a remix album. Mm -hmm. And at first I kind of was like, no, I don't want to do a remix album of Voodoo because I felt like Voodoo still hadn't had its time, still hadn't had its moment to really get out there and be heard and get the push behind it that I thought it deserved. I hadn't toured it. Like I hadn't, there was not really a lot I felt with that record. It was frustrating. And I was like, I just felt like it was kind of a bit of a, a cop out to like come out so quickly with this remix album. But at the end of the day, um, Demo Castillion, who was, uh, who is the producers a really talented, talented producer. And it was a part of my, my history right. for sure. But I, um, but I didn't really have a lot of any, any, uh, involvement with the production of those songs at all. So then following that between 2011, 2013, you released three installments of the basement recordings, which are digital albums that consisted of unreleased demos. They are a fan favorite and standouts in your discography. Where did that concept come from? Like, what made you think about putting out the unreleased demos? It was my brother. So all those songs that we had written together, I was in New York City. I had moved to New York um, or in the beginning stages of wanting to move to New York to start touring and playing and like earning, not just getting signed to majors and like being in the studio. I wanted to start playing shows and like really connecting with my listeners. And he had just called me and he's like, look, we have all these demos right? and like we've that are sitting here. Why don't we just get them out to the fans and let them like in the time as you figure out what your next moves are going to be as an artist, just let them have these. So I was like, okay. It's <laughs> such a great idea. And honestly, I've always thought about that I don't understand why more artists don't do that because so many artists demos end up leaking anyway and they become some of the fans favorite music that they listen to on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever they can find it and I don't mm-hmm. understand why more artists don't take those and kind of compile them together and profit off of it if it's going to be listened to and out there anyway you might as well be in the one in control of it I guess I mean yours mm-hmm. are more well thought out and produced than what I'm talking about. But it it never mm. made sense to me why people don't do that. I think it's because there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I've been doing that's been a lot as an artist is there's a lot of clerical stuff. And then when it comes to like, you know, the clerical, registering the songs, all the codes, getting it right, getting it into the, you know, um, sound exchange and so can and like all these and i think that when you have multiple versions of songs Mm -hmm. it can get a little bit confusing and people just don't want to deal with the headache of it right for for me personally i even with my patreon community i give away demos every month Mm -hmm. i give away things that have never even been heard from my history I'm like a total nerd that way. Like when I would buy a record, I would love when artists would put out like a B-side, like like, here's uh the yes, bonus tracks and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like this is how, this is the, how the song sounded the first moment I wrote it. I love demos. I love finding like demos that pop up years later of songs that are hits and songs that you love and hearing like the way it started and how it was like fleshed out and the ideas were changed and it came to the sound that you know is so fascinating to me, but I'm also a music nerd. So I feel like not everyone cares about that. <laughs> I know, but it's also funny why, yeah, it's a good question. Why are artists so precious about the beginning stages of their songs? I don't know. It's just sonics. Yeah. It's like, share it. I love it. I feel like you have such a unique relationship with your fans because they're 
so loyal and they followed you through the ups and downs of your career, but also because a lot of your funding comes from the fans, whether it be the Kickstarter stuff you were doing, um, raising money for the Skipping Stone era, or now through Patreon. So do you feel like you have a different sense of closeness with your fans because they're a part of the process in some way of creating these albums and these tours and this music throughout your career? 100%. I know I do. I mean, I just sold out my New York VIP before anything else. Oh, I know. I'm so pissed. I bought a regular ticket. What an idiot. Yeah, but I, I'm playing. I just announced before this interview, I'm playing um, April 22nd as well. I booked a new date in New York City oh, and nice. there's VIPs available. Nice. Because <laughs> fans were like, what the heck? It's already gone. And in my mind, I was thinking, wow, like, and that's the kind of artist I, I, I am in the sense that like, the fans that are fans of my music, they are like super fans yeah. of my music. Yeah. And they are super supporters. And like, it's pretty crazy. I'm, it's definitely, a, it's like a different, it's a different thing. There's a lot of strength in building a relationship with your fan base mm -hmm. and being an authentic and, and keep bringing them into it. I find there's an exchange happening and, Again, it just like eliminates all the BS in between that. You right. Know? I feel like the I feel like Patreon is such a good outlet for that too. Hugely. Oh yeah. Let Em Eat Cake is another fan favorite of your albums. It's um one of my favorite songs from that as Cologne. I love the live version. I think it's I don't even know if it's the live version. It's the video that you did and you're performing in it, but I don't know if the track is live. I don't remember. But I love that one. Um I feel like this album kind of showcased a bit of maturity in your voice and a slight change stylistically. I feel like something about your voice and your music sounded different at this time. Do you feel that way? With Let Me Cake? Yes. Yeah. I mean, every record to me is like a different time in my life and a different, there's been growth in between, right. you know, since I put out my last project and, um, I also think that, you know, the microphone, the setting, the producer, all those details can kind of lend itself to the sound of the album. Um, I love Let Me Cake. It That was a really, I think that's probably one of my, one of my most, most prevalent records I, I think I've put out, mm -hmm. really. Um, not that I put out a ton, but uh, the fans really seem to, to, to love that album. Yeah. Why the resurgence of the song Gonna Get It? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I think we needed like, I felt like we were missing, like we needed to have another song on there. And again, I think we felt like it didn't get heard on Voodoo or something, to be honest. I don't know why mm -hmm. we put it back on that album, but <laughs> like talk about multiple versions of songs. Yeah. Yeah, it's common. It's actually never been like my favorite song. My brother was really like at the forefront, I find, of like the sound and like with that song. He's an amazing writer. I like that he's one. got a lot of, yeah, he's got a lot of like, he loves the police and he grew up listening to a lot of like band stuff. And and it does kind of have a Michael Jackson vibe to it, which is really cool. But playing it live is kind of difficult. Mm -hmm. Like just because of the way the song is. And you'll know what I mean. Like if people listen to the song, it's not the same as like a singer songwriter vibe. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I can't really answer that question. So the <laughs> most recent album you released was Still Alive, which was in 2020. And the songs were primarily like updated versions of stuff you had previously put out. So what brought about the idea for this album and why was it important for you to do that? 
I re-recorded the songs that Sony shelved when I was signed, when I did the Wade album, and they were leaked online. So the fans were huge fans of these recordings that they could never have access to. Mm -hmm. And that was the song that was going to represent me as an artist. That was the song that was going to put me on the platform, quote unquote, as an artist. And I wanted to just, it was the 10 years after. And I talked to my brother and I said, let's just like reproduce these songs, re-record them and get them out to the fans, you know? Um, so that's what, that's what we did. And uh, to those, to me, it wasn't really like an official album release in the sense that it was an album and it was released, but it was more like for the fans. Right. It, it wasn't an album that was like representing my sound or like the stuff I've been working on, like with this new record coming out in April. Um, it was kind of more of just like a, closing a chapter, wrapping it up, wrapping up a, an open wound in my life for so many years of this record that was taken from us. Right. And just putting my stamp on it, giving that to the fans so I could move on to something Yeah, kind of like letting it go. Letting it go, yeah. So prior to that album, in 2019, you lost your sister after her battle with cancer. She was 25 at the time? Mm-hmm. I feel like as a creative person, you sometimes feel things differently. I think creatives and artists are oftentimes more in touch with their emotions than others. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that can help you create something really beautiful. Other times it might feel a bit crushing. I think I experienced that a bit, being creative in a different way. Do you feel like that experience with such a great loss has changed you as an artist and also just as a person? I mean, it was your sister, of course, that changed you as a person. I didn't, that sounds wrong. But do you think that it changed you in how you operate as an artist. Yeah. I just kind of like, don't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I genuinely don't care what people think about my choices as an indie artist, what I think, what I want to say, how I want to go about it, the information I want to share, what I don't want to share. I'm at, it's like, I feel like it made me really, It was that, and I think also giving birth to my first daughter unmedicated Mm -hmm. at home, uh, which I wanted to experience since losing my sister. I felt there's a, there's a lot of little details, you know, from the, when my sister was diagnosed to when she died was exactly to the day, nine months, Mm -hmm. which is a pregnancy. And I felt like with this, with my first child, it was like in one year I'd lost a sister and had a child. And it was like, okay, death, life, rebirth let's go stop overthinking it, you know, by logic, get Apollo twin, get, get some plugins, get a good microphone, start recording your own music, do it yourself. And that's what I did with this record. Like, I was just like, I don't need to like get the fancy schmancy. Like, you know, I'm just going to start really digging deep and doing what I've always wanted to do, which is I want to start like doing this. I want to have even more control. I want to have even more, like, I want to track my own vocals and have nobody tell me you know, like, oh, you should do that again. I want to be like, no, I like that. This is what I like for this record, you know? And I think I needed to do that just for myself, you know? Yeah, I feel like something like that changes you in every way. I feel like every aspect of what you do, you look at things a little different. It just like changes your perception. And you were so open about it. Like I looked through some of your Instagram and some of the highlights that you had shared and you were so like open about it publicly. And I, I feel like maybe that might help you deal with it a bit. Yeah. I felt, yeah, I felt like I kind of had to be like, it was such a, 
and my sister definitely didn't want to be hidden throughout the process of that. Like she was, you know, she was somebody who was very real right. and super like down to earth and even the type of cancer. And she was, uh, yeah, I felt like it was kind of, I don't want her to disappear. Right. So I'll always keep her through the fabrics of, of, of everything. And, and also on this record, you know, like there's, there's a song I wrote for her called other side mm-hmm. and she's throughout this whole album, but, I didn't think I was going to be able to write music again because I just didn't think it was important anymore. Mm-hmm. But then I realized after time had gone by that so many other people have gone through what I've gone through and so many other people will go through what I've gone through, unfortunately. And I feel like it's if I can give them anything to help them through that and give them any hope to get through, I kind of feel like it's like my obligation. I was going to say like a responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what this album is. Seasons is this album is like a total testament to just working through the hardest parts and getting through the darkness and and getting to the other side. Like the seasons of life. Just like the seasons they 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 give you, they give you life. They give you death. It's like just like the seasons of life. We have a mirror of what is natural to be human. Wow, that's really powerful. Thank you. I love that. What's the biggest difference about making music as a mom? Just time. I you know, I think back <laughs> I think back in my life on all the time that I had before I had kids and I would just kind of like now I've become so you become like a you become a master with time mm-hmm. because you get like a window of an hour and it's like you're just like like I'm gonna like be on like turbo mode trying to get this done. But that's the hardest part. Everything else has been totally wicked. It's just delegating time to get, and also understanding I can't get all the things done in a year that I want to do. I have to kind of, I have to give as well. Like I have to be, I'm also a mom to two kids that need me every day, every moment. So, and that's hard as a creative sometimes because it's like, oh, you have this amazing idea. You want to just go hide away somewhere and do it, but you have to put it aside. Yeah. And you're almost like getting used to the fact that you can't do that the way you used to. Yeah, it takes a lot of like patience and grace and all, all those things, you know. Let's talk about the new music. It's been three years since Still Alive. Your new album, Seasons, is coming out April 7th. What about now feels like the right time to get back into it? Um, I won the album out last year. It's just this is the way it's worked out, just timing wise with everything in life. And, and this is this is this just feels it feels like the right time mm-hmm. is April feels like it's it's, you know, people have gone through a lot with with COVID and everything that's happened in the world. I just, I think it's, it was like a happy accident that it's taken over a year to get this record finished. Right. But that's what gave it the album title was watching the seasons go by as I'm trying to finish this, you know, collection of songs. So that lends itself to the sound of the album too. Right. You know, so it all works out. Should we expect a single ahead of time or are you just going to put it all out at once? No, I am putting out a single February, early February, um, and then albums out in April, early April. Okay, so you also have shows coming up as well. LA, the day after the album drops. New York, which I'll be attending. Italy, (laughs) France, the UK. When was the last time that you did a tour? And do you still feel nervous at this stage in your career to perform live? So the last time I played live, aside from a, like a one-off gig I did in Nashville, the last time I played live was 2018. It was right before I had, sorry, 2017, right before I'd flown to Scotland to get married, before I lost my sister, before I had two, two children, 
and it's been like that long. Yeah, so that's it's been crazy. about five years. Mm-hmm. And since I've like done, you know, so I'm so excited. Like, I can't tell you how excited I am to like be playing, especially this collection of songs. Like it's, it's crazy. These songs were like all written on my guitar. Like so many of my songs have been, but a lot of my songs too have been with producers. So they'll bring up a beat and I'll like weave together some kind of, you know, melody and lyric on top. And, but these songs have really come from like, just like my soul to the point that like, yeah, it's I've never done an entire record like this before. Do you still feel nervous to perform? I'm not nervous to perform right now. I'm more the mo- the biggest nerve thing has just been like delegating so many moving parts with ticket links and mm-hmm. and I was being worried that there's going to be another lockdown or something or that you know all this hard work like stuff that's kind of out of my control, like kind of irrational irrational fears. I'm always nervous performing, but I also know that like, as soon as I get up there, I get, I have such an amazing connection with my fan base that I feel like I do have freedom and room to make mistakes. And I don't feel like people are coming to your show as casual listeners. I feel like the people that are coming to your show are like diehard fans and that gives you what you need. 100%. It's like having your family, you know, like eat the meal that you've made for them. Yeah. Yeah like we love it mom like it's so good right. and, oh really oh really i don't know it was too much salt it's like, no, <laughs> we love it it's delicious i feel like that's like how i feel about the people who like connect to my music you know i love and that. it's like okay good like i have a safe place to fall there so i'm actually more like so looking forward to seeing seeing my seeing my fans again are you bringing the kids on the uk tour yeah so um i'm just gonna hop into la and new york and then for the for that tour, my husband's coming. He's a he's a um, British c- citizen, okay, which is great. So he can bring all that merch in for me. You know what I'm saying? I love like, that. I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're making some money in the UK. <laughs> Woo, what's up, entourage? Um, so he he's gonna be there, and the kids, yeah. And my <laughs> my brother Garrison Cade, who's super super talented, is putting out um, an EP, uh, like a folk kind of you know, soul EP and he's going to be opening yeah, for I me, saw which that is he's great. Opening for you. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And he's also going to play with me on a lot of these songs, um, which is going to be really special. He's an amazing singer. So yeah. And the kids will be, yeah, we've already booked everything and it's going to be an experience for them. I know it's not going to be perfect, but it's also going to be amazing. Yeah. Really you know? cool to look back on, especially. Yeah. What's your favorite and least favorite part of touring? Oh, I mean, you're going to get sick. Yeah. (laughs) Traveling. Like, no matter what you do, you're meeting so many fans, VIP, shaking hands, hugging people. Like, that's, and you're run down. Um, The worst part is just um, that, I would say. And the best part is just the interaction. Obviously, when people, you know, buy your vinyl, they connect to your music, you you put so much as an indie artist upfront costs, like it's actually insane. Like running an indie label is like, you really have to have faith. And you really got to crunch some numbers. And you really have to ask questions like, you know, where do you guys want to see me play? Right. Because I'm full, I'm flying there to play for you. So I'm going to put, put myself up somewhere. I'm going to get the merch made. I'm going to book the venue. Right. And all of that expense is on you. 
all of it's on me. And you also have to make sure like, guys, come to my show. You said you wanted me in Leon and I tallied like 250 people. Right. So let's go come to the show, you know? And I feel like it's hard sometimes like fans, you know, it can seem like an artist is like all major label, you know, but really they're like putting so much faith into, into the process of like this next year, putting out music and, and all of that. So that's been like, yeah. And that's exciting when you're on tour and you feel like, Oh my gosh, like three shows in, you're like, ah, oh, awesome. Like I'm now breaking even, I'm now feeling like this is like, this was a good right. move. And, and you I, can like I've, take a sigh. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, I felt that way in the past with tours where it's like, nice. Okay. Everyone's going out for like a really fancy meal tonight. And like, we can like, you know, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. Let's hit up a spa this weekend. So. <laughs> Who wants a massage? But, yeah. But you don't book that ahead of time. You want to get the, everything just where it should be. And then you see how it goes, you know? I know you said in a previous interview that you don't perform any songs from Instant Star because a lot of them weren't written by you and you don't really feel as connected to them, nor do you own them. Have you reconsidered this position? Because I feel like it would be so cool to take maybe one of those songs and do it in your current style, the way you kind of like updated and recorded some of your older songs in the style you were doing at that point which wasn't mm. night and day, but it was a little different. So I feel like to take a song or two from that show and do it in your current style would be so interesting. Are you open okay. to this? I am. It's actually a good idea. So as I'm thinking oh, about thank you. I'm going to start... <laughs> I'm going to start putting together my set list for the shows. And I was thinking it'd be really fun to actually ask the fans and say what two instant star yes. songs and I'll just, I'll do a poll yes. and say, right. What two instant star songs songs should I perform? Uh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw <laughs> up on the floor of this studio that I don't own. <laughs> I'll write it down right now. Tally for what instant star song I should bring back for my show. Oh, I love it. I want my vote to count for two. None of your songs in your discography have a feature or a collaboration. Is that intentional? No, it's just the way it's worked out. I mean, I, I am um, just with where I had been with recording in life. Like, I mean, obviously I've collaborated with so many amazing musicians on my live shows and my openers and stuff, but I mean, yeah, I guess it just, it happened that way. I think I should do like my next record should just be collaborations oh, with all the artists this. I think are amazing. I love Look this. Look at your ideas. You are, your okay, ideas wait. are awesome. I have Canadian suggestions for you. Savannah Ray. Do you know her? No. See? See what I said about Canadian artists? Okay. This is what we do to each other. Look into her. Savannah Ray. Beautiful. And the person who suggested Savannah Ray to me, who I would also like to see you work with, who's Canadian, is Fifi Dobson. Oh, Fifi. Yeah. She's, she's, she's classic. I love her. She was my first interview. I think she hates me now, but it's okay. <laughs> I don't think, she, I didn't lie. I never lie. I just left parts out and I don't think she realized she was my first interview and I don't think she was happy about it, but um, oh my forever gosh, grateful no. to her. Um, tell yes. me, talk to me about Old Stock Gardens. Old Stock Gardens is like where we want to be like, you know, crushing in like our late fifties, early sixties, homestead alpacas, like selling alpaca wool and like, you know, salsa and, and pickles and sauerkraut and maple like syrup. everything. 
maple syrup, like everything <laughs> bundles, like through like this beautiful umbrella of like, ho- like holistic seeds, selling seeds, um, giving back to the community. Like this is where like we're headed as like, re- like when we retire one day. I love it. <laughs> you know, and I want to have a podcast too. And it's not necessarily just music based. It kind of ties into the whole old stock thing, but it also does lend itself to the creative side of things. So I'm excited about that. And I feel like I'm just, yeah, I I know I have a lot to learn about the podcast world. So (laughs) yeah, but I mean, you already have the background with recording your own music. It's the same thing. You've already got the knowledge. I know, but I always feel like there's so many different platforms and it's like, what's the best platform? What's the best, all that stuff, like the video platforms, the video ones. So I've done literally a million hours of research on that before I started this. So yes, let me know when you're ready and I'll give you the whole I'm rundown ready. so you don't have to watch seven hours of videos like I did. <laughs> I will help Whenever you. Whenever you're ready, please. 100%. Yeah, I'd love that. 100%. I'd love we'll that. We'll take a day and we'll do it and we'll just get it done. Okay. 100%. I'd love to. Okay. What accomplishment are you most proud of? My children. My kids. It was like, that was the hardest thing. It's been the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And... I'm proud that, you know, I made the choice in my creative career to make that a priority for me in my life when I did. I'm really glad that I did because I didn't know if I was going to have kids right. in my life. Um, so I'm really proud that I made that choice for myself. Um, and I guess career wise, I'm most proud of my, uh, my, drive how I never give up how I'm like no matter what comes my way I feel like I'm like hell-bent to just like prove to create other creatives other people who are dreaming that you can do it you can do it too you can you can you can do whatever it is you want to do in this world we have one life and nobody can tell you if you're good enough nobody can tell you if you deserve it And I love that. That's what gives me drive to keep doing what I'm doing. It's my favorite thing, you know, is being on the ground with people who have have been with me on this journey. I don't like the distance on stage. I don't like feeling like I'm untouchable or unattainable. I've never liked that when I was the lead of a show. It actually really isolated me and caused some distortion in my thinking, Mm -hmm. which I think it does for a lot of celebrity. I love hearing the stories, feeling the emotion of like how songs have helped people through things. I love that. Right. And um, I'm proud that like I've bridged those connections with my listeners, you know. Biggest regret if you have one. In my career, I would say uh, not pursuing doing music with David Foster when I was given the opportunity. Just because I think it would have been, I think he would have done some beautiful things. Yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. And it was just a choice at the time. My management had advised me that I should just stick towards doing my own songwriting and not go into the world of David Foster because he'll take over completely. You should sue them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. You should write a strongly worded email. Yeah. But I still feel like I there's there could be something special between that we could do, like a, a song that we could work on together at some point in my career. I still think that that door isn't closed, actually. I think that, yeah, he's a fellow Canadian and he's lovely and I've... I've done a few things with him in the past and I feel like, yeah, we could do a really beautiful song. If if timing or if life allows, I would be totally open to that. Would you change anything about how your career has played out? At this point, no. It's where you want it to be. 
Yeah, it's where I, it's where I want it to be. Yeah, some days I don't I don't feel that way, and other days I do feel that way. It's like like anything, it changes sometimes depend depending on how what you have coming at you as an indie artist. But no, I'm like super super proud of like the just where I'm at right now in my life, and I feel like it. I know how much work it's taken, but I and I, how much more work it's going to take. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah, it's more it's way more positive than negative. What is your greatest hope for your future and what is your greatest fear? My greatest hope is that I continue to keep my optimism and remembering the precious moments of life and that I just stay open and awake through the experience of life, that I don't get jaded and I don't allow the world to, you know, to like dull my light. Uh, so I guess my biggest fear is uh, I don't want to look back on my life and feel like I've wasted so much, so much time. Like I'm trying to get on top of what my biggest fears are, which mm-hmm. is like looking back and being like, wow, I wasted that. So I guess, but I can't control that either. So I guess, you know, my biggest fear would be like health stuff, you know, like watching what my sister went through was pretty like pretty traumatizing to see this beautiful girl and have so much out of her control taken away from her so fast, I feel like. So I'm always trying to stay on top of like that the best way that we can. Right. Just like vitamins and health and mentally healthy, physically healthy. But aside from that, fear, fear is like, you know, we're only here for a short time and there's only so much that we can control anyway. And that's a gift in knowing, you know. Alex, Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) you are the definition of an artist. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to have this conversation with me. It was everything I could have hoped for and more and such a dream come true. You were actually one of the people that I had on my list when I started this show. I had like a top 10 and Mm -hmm. for like coming to the close of the first year of doing this, to take someone off of that list is really awesome. So thank you for giving that to me. And don't act like you don't fucking know me when you see me in New York. Because I'm going to be like, it's me. It's me. That's awesome. I love it. Well, this has been honestly like, I just thank you so much for doing such good research. And and uh, I'm really excited to see you in New York. I will see you in April. Yeah, see you in April. And let me know <laughs> when you start posting your polls for which songs you're going to do, because I want to vote from several Instagrams that I will create. Okay, <laughs> I will. I think I know the songs already, though, just saying. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 